so especially for women, we go through very significant hormonal fluctuations throughout our life and on a monthly basis. So think about puberty and childbirth, which by the way, is a very common time for Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism to develop is around childbirth and postpartum. And then we have menopause as well, perimenopause and menopause. So those are significant changes uh, that can lead to Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. This is episode 217 of the Well Woman podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. We're talking about an element of the endocrine system that's often forgotten about when it comes to menstrual cycle health in this episode. And we're doing that with Leisha Nicely. Leisha is a registered dietitian and an integrative and functional practitioner with nine years of experience and specializes in hypothyroid conditions. Being a Hashimoto's warrior herself, Leisha understands what it's like to both live with and effectively manage this common yet very complex condition of Hashimoto's. Leisha's approach is comprehensive and holistic in nature, utilizing and emphasizing the immense positive impact that lifestyle and nutritional changes have for managing endocrine and autoimmune conditions. And we are talking exactly about that in this episode, thyroid and autoimmunity. Leisha is like an expert on the thyroid. As I mentioned, she has had Hashimoto's and was also diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And she shares this in this episode around her journey and her experience. And then we uncover thyroid and the health of our thyroid and how is our thyroid actually linked to our menstrual cycle and what can we do to ensure that we have a healthy thyroid and how we can have a healthy thyroid for healthy fertility. Now, Leisha is the creator of the thyroid recovery program, so hence why she's the best person to talk about thyroid health. And in this episode, we are talking exactly about what is the thyroid, how many different women around the world, and the stats on this is mind-blowing, but have thyroid imbalance. It's more than endometriosis and more than PCOS, which is for me was so awakening and eye opening. So wait till you get to that part in the episode. We also talk about what you can do for autoimmunity, how you can improve autoimmunity and what contributes to it. We talk about fertility, the menstrual cycle, immune health, and so much more. You're going to enjoy this episode and make sure you pass it on to anyone else that you know that's working on either their fertility health or their thyroid health. Alicia, welcome to the Well Woman podcast. Thank you for having me, Gemma. It's a very huge pleasure and we are recording this very early in the morning for me. So thank you for being here all the way from the East Coast of America. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for being up bright and early. (laughs) Sometimes I do that. Not often, but sometimes. Um, (laughs) Now, before we jump in, first question for everyone on the podcast is tell us what day of your cycle you're on today. And how are you tuning in? How are you checking in? How's this day for you? Yeah, so I'm on day 20 um, and doing pretty good. Um, I have done or tried to do a lot of work to support um, menstrual cycle regularity and health and minimize symptoms. And I can say that's been successfully achieved. I can very much predict 
when my period's coming because it's so regular and um, the symptoms are very minimal compared to how they used to be when I was not so connected with my body. So I would say I'm feeling pretty good. Mm, Okay. I love that. And you just alluded that you weren't once very connected with your body. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to share who are you? Who is Leisha Nicely? And why are we here today talking about the thyroid and thyroid health and how that relates to women's health overall? But how did you get into specializing about the thyroid? So tell us who you are, your story, and maybe why once upon a time you weren't very connected to your body. Sure. Yeah. Great question. Um, I am a wife and a mother to a two-year-old boy. Um, my favorite roles in the entire world are those. Um, and secondly, I am a clinical dietitian, formally trained. Um, I have been for about nine years this year. So I began in the hospital setting clinical dietitian, enjoyed it, um, but didn't really love the fact that I couldn't continue to follow up with patients and help them on their journey to health and only got to see very sick people. And so I decided that I wanted to move to an outpatient setting. I got a job at a wellness center, um, working under a naturopathic doctor. And that's when I actually learned so much um, about myself, about health, about healing, about natural support. And you think as a dietitian, you know, our tools, our nutrition and lifestyle, but clinical dietitians don't get to utilize that too much. Um, So being in the outpatient setting was really exciting because I got to see people for six months to a year, and we got to see the transformation that people would get to achieve through their lifestyle and dietary changes. And it was actually ironically during that time that I discovered that I had both hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's pretty significantly advanced um, during a routine physical. So my doctor, I kind of asked for just more blood work than usual. I wanted to check on things in my twenties and she's like, sure. And then when my results came back, we were both shocked, (laughs) um, full-blown elevated antibodies, very, very elevated TSH. Other thyroid hormones were very much suppressed. And my doctor was just like, how are you functioning? How are you getting out of bed? I'm like, I don't know. I've been like this for a while, I think. Um, And that just shows how disconnected I was to how I was feeling or maybe how used to feeling poorly I became. Um, Being a busy college student, working multiple jobs, lots of stress, um, not sleeping great, maybe going out on the weekends. I just thought it was normal to feel that way. And it really wasn't until I went on my whole healing journey for myself that I realized, cause I feel very good now that how poorly I felt and that that's not normal, even if it's very common. Um, so that was a huge wake up call. I was suddenly diagnosed with autoimmunity. My world was kind of flipped upside down. I thought I was healthy dietitian, you know, living, living well. And then I was told that I'm not in a very good position. I need to change things and learn about this condition. So that kind of sent me on a whole path to become trained. Um, I researched, I read everything um, that I could find. And then I became an integrative and functional nutrition practitioner to get more education on the functional realm of root cause medicine. So that was another tool that really helped me explore how can I get to why um, my Hashimoto's developed specifically for me and what I could do about it through you know, changes in my life. 
So during that whole time, I really, my eyes were very much open to the gap in care for people, more so women with thyroid disease. There's not much education. I mean, almost zero that you will get from your doctor aside from routine lab work and medication, which don't get me wrong. Those are important, but I hear all the time people ask their doctors, like, what can I do with my diet? How should I exercise? What other changes can I make? And most of the time your doctors will say, you don't need to do anything. You can eat whatever you like. You can live however, and you'll be fine. Just make sure you're taking your medicine. And I think we all know that for any chronic disease, any inflammatory chronic disease, and you know, a lot of these conditions develop because of the way that we're living in our modern life. Um, you do need to make drastic changes, most likely, to uh, reverse and, and manage the condition much better. So I decided, you know, this is a passion of mine. I, I learned how to support my body. I want to help other people um, have the tools that I never had and have the support and the guidance and the encouragement and, and validate them that, you know, you're not crazy. <laughs> like the symptoms are valid despite what your lab work might say. And there's so much more you can do. Um, and I just wanted to empower this, this population because I'm part of it. So it's very close and, and dear to me. Mm, what a journey. Yes. Like, <laughs> what a journey, especially to find out that you have hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's whilst working as, you know, a, a dietitian. And I feel a lot of people in the health industry, once they've studied some form of health, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing all the things that align with what I was taught. So I must be really healthy. And it doesn't take into any of the the stress factors that life can bring with you or bring into your life that go around the outside of what you can eat and what you can do with your movement. Um, so I love that. And I'm sure you've got a really deep knowledge pool now around all of those lifestyle things we can do. So let's, we can talk about those. Um, but I'd love to actually ask the question to like, go back even further. What made you want to get into health? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I originally wanted to be a marine biologist, <laughs> which is what I started um, college for in my degree. So I took all the biology and all those classes my first year of college. Um, and then I realized living in Michigan at the time, which is surrounded by lakes, but no seawater, <laughs> I'd have to move. Um, the career longevity didn't look so great. Um, even though, I mean, it still was a very exciting, um, potential for me at the time. Um, so I decided that, you know, maybe, um, that wasn't the career for me. And one of my, um, one of my friends was like, you know, our college actually has a very good dietetics program. And I was like, oh, I had never even considered that. I, I, I am, I was interested in healthy living in general, but I also didn't want to be like a nurse or a doctor that just didn't pull to me. Then I heard about the dietetics program and that our college had a very good one, one of the top in the country. And I was like, yeah, why not? Let's, that sounds great. I want to be an expert in nutrition because that's a tool that's going to benefit you for life. And yeah. I just wanted to be an authority in that, that area. Just, it's just, it was like, it was like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was just that, that light bulb moment where I was like, I know this is right for me. It's just a gut feeling. And I ran with it and I'm so glad that I did. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing. It's interesting you say about marine biology. So that's what my sister studied at university oh, okay. and, she, and she became a marine biologist living in Australia on the beach in like on the Gold Coast. So if, if people don't know where I live, I live on the Gold Coast in Australia, which is kind of like the LA of the Americas, mm. you could say. Mm -hmm. So it's really like tourism based and lots of like 
beach outdoor fitness lifestyle. Um, and even here in Australia, marine biologists really struggle to get work because there's not mm. a lot of marine biology jobs. So great avenue you took because so many <laughs> more people are interested in learning about their health. Um, or right. have your health I'll never go out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's never. That's for sure. <laughs> um, well, thank you for sharing. That's fantastic. And I love your journey about having hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's because I feel that these are two things. I've been in the women's health field for, God, 10 years working with clients and 17 years in the field of nutritional love. And I think around eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago, a lot more people were starting to like come to the forefront. Like I've just been told I have Hashimoto's. Like, what is this thing? And so, so many of us know about it now, but I still feel there's a, a lot of people who are unaware that your thyroid, this little beautiful butterfly gland that lives in your throat has such an impact on your health. So let's talk about the thyroid for like the basics. Like what is the thyroid? Why is it important for our health? And what does it do for us? Sure. Yeah. It is, um, like you said, it's a gland. It's shaped like a butterfly, which is where it gets its nickname. Um, it's in our neck and it is part of the endocrine system. So it secretes hormones, um, and hormones are, they serve as these chemical messengers that create signals for things to happen in the body. And specifically with thyroid hormones, uh, they are responsible mainly for metabolism and growth, but many, many other things as well that, um, kind of explain why people, when they have an under or overactive thyroid, they experience symptoms from head to toe. It's not just the weight issues potentially or the energy, but it's things like cholesterol problems, fertility issues, which I know we're going to get into changes with their skin and hair and nail health, um, their muscle recovery joints. I mean, there's so many different areas because every cell in the human body contains thyroid hormone cell like receptors for these hormones, um, cognitive function, like just so, so important. So when, like I said, people become under or overactive, like they start to experience these system wide symptoms that become concerning. You, you really feel like you're falling apart sometimes. So that's why thyroid health is really important. And, and for women, especially we are more at risk to develop thyroid issues. Um, I think it's five to eight times more likely compared to men. Wow. And also one in eight women will develop a thyroid condition in their lifetime. So it is very, very common. Um, and we can talk about this too, but Hashimoto's is the most common autoimmune condition in the world. Um, so that's something in the else. world. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that's something else to, and, and autoimmunity is on the rise in general. Mm. So it's really important to be informed and know that even just understanding the differences between hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's, which I think sometimes those terms are used interchangeably, but they are different. Oh, thank you for sharing. Cause it just goes to show that you know, the song that you learn as kids, who knows you live in America. So maybe you didn't know this as a child, but you know, like the thigh bones connected to the hip bone, the hip bones connected oh, mm -hmm. to the, like everything in our body is so connected. Nothing is in isolation. And this is one of the things I'm always talking about with the endocrine system and the reproductive system or the, mm -hmm. the reproduction of the endocrine system is that, you know, it's not just the period or the menstrual cycle or the ovulation that's in isolation. Like that's connected to your nervous system. It's connected to your digestive system, your circulatory system, your lymphatic system. Like it's everything is like a spider web. It's so intricately mm -hmm. connected. And I think that a lot of us look for external 
um, what's a good word, external things that we can fix or do to help it with our health. But ultimately, I really feel it comes back to understanding, well, what's really happening inside me and what is in balance or what's imbalanced. And so you mentioned so much about the thyroid, which I love, but you also said one in eight women, like that's a lot of women. That's more yeah. women. And this is not to be gender specific, but more women experience Hashimoto's than women who experience endometriosis. Mm-hmm. and PCOS. Yeah. Like if you, if, you know, you just think about that for a moment, like it's a lot. Yeah. So when we think of Hashimoto's, let's talk about like what is Hashimoto's mm-hmm. and how is that different to what we also have heard of like hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism? Because I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people get confused. It's kind of like the confusion of like the sympathetic nervous system or the parasympathetic, which is what <laughs> right. I always get confused. Yeah. So yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. So, uh, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism are just terms to describe the clinical state of thyroid hormones in the body. So high or low hyper is high hypo is low. Uh, whereas Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition. And with any autoimmune disease, there becomes an imbalance with the immune system. Um, there's many different reasons why, which we can talk about. Uh, and when that happens, the immune system creates autoantibodies or antibodies towards a specific tissue of, of your body. And that, that shouldn't happen, but it does because there's this dysregulation, um, that occurs. And then that inflammation and attack from the immune system can damage the thyroid gland to the point where it can no longer create adequate amounts of thyroid hormones, thus putting you in a state of hypothyroidism. It can also happen that's Hashimoto's, but Graves disease is kind of the opposite where it's autoimmune hyperthyroidism and specific areas of the thyroid gland are also targeted. And that can cause an overproduction of thyroid hormones and lead to autoimmune hyperthyroidism, which is treated much differently. It can be more, um, it can be more severe and have much more complications, uh, well, it, every case is different, of course, but compared to Hashimoto's, which can be more of a, a, a gradual development, um, not for everyone, but yeah, they are similar yet different. So when people say I have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, um, those are two different things describing how the thyroid is being impacted or the state of thyroid hormones in the body. Mm, and that's what you had. You said Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. And when you shared that, I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting one. Like, how did that come yes. about? And um, I always like to remind myself, like very similarly with the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, is that hyper is like, think of like a hyper child, you know, go, 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 go. And hypo is like the slow thyroid. Everything's really slow. So that's my easy analogy for that, you know, because I like to think of, well, how can I remember that so that I don't get confused about that in the future? Because when you start you know, 10, 12 years ago when I was learning all the in-depth stuff around health, when I came out of nutritional manufacturing and working as a food science formulator, I was very much like, how the fuck am I going to remember the difference between all of these things that sound so freaking similar? (laughs) So I like to put analogies to that. Um, Now you mentioned, so Hashimoto's is actually an autoimmune. And Mm -hmm. earlier you also mentioned that lots of different things can contribute to autoimmune. So what is it that you think like this is a very broad question, mm-hmm. but what is it that you think in our current world today that's actually contributing to autoimmune imbalances? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so from my understanding and, and my belief, um, it's a combination of things. Yes, there is a genetic component. I learned that after my diagnosis that I have a pretty heavy family history, of both thyroid disease and thyroid autoimmunity. So I was kind of <laughs> not given the great, you know, the best genetic makeup for that. And I was at a higher risk due to that. That doesn't necessarily mean someone will develop a condition. It just means you're more at risk. And that was me. And then of course, just not knowing the signs or symptoms and being young, um, it kind of crept up on me almost in a sense. So there's definitely a genetic component. I'll tell people, you know, look at your family history. Do you have a family history of autoimmunity or thyroid disease? And a lot of people do, and it makes sense. So that's one uh, area. Another one is environment. Our environment has changed a lot, whereas our genetics has not. So playing catch up to adapt to our modern world has not quite happened yet. And, you know, environmental triggers can, that can be a very long list and can be specific to the person. It can be anything from chemical and toxin exposure, heavy metals. It can be a chronic infection. It can be um, stress and trauma is another one. You mentioned the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So nervous system dysregulation, not being in a position with your body where you can heal or your body can do what it knows how to do because of what you may have experienced in the past or present. That's a huge one that I think mm -hmm. is very much overlooked and needs to be talked about more. And, um, Thankfully, my husband is a mental health therapist. So I, he, uh, with, with clients and stuff, he'll, he will help sometimes and educate, provide education on that aspect, because it is so important. You cannot disconnect the mind from the body, um, and the nervous system. It's just, you know, obviously they all impact each other. We so that's, one. that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah hormonal changes. Um, so especially for women, we go through very significant hormonal fluctuations throughout our life and on a monthly basis. So think about puberty and childbirth, which by the way, is a very common time for Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism to develop is around childbirth and postpartum. And then we have menopause as well, perimenopause and menopause. So those are significant changes, uh, that can lead to Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. Um, and there's, there's more that, that go into that trigger stress category. Uh, and the third one would be the integrity and the health of the gut. So our gut is so significant, especially for immune system balance that when our gut is in an, an unhealthy state and we're seeing, you know, intestinal permeability or leaky gut, which is also known as that can kind of trigger and make the immune system unhappy, <laughs> if you mm -hmm. will. And you know, you can have a lot of issues. If you're not caring for your gut, it's going to be hard to heal. It's like a gateway, um, for inflammation. So that's, that's a huge one too. And what I work with, with clients is if you have autoimmunity, we need to look at the gut and make sure that things are looking good. <laughs> if we want to make really good progress. I love that focus on the gut and I can totally resonate. And I hear you when you say that, because I used to have leaky gut and, you know, growing <clears throat> up in a family of celiac disease, we ate generally well. Like we had removed gluten when I was 14 You know, I've been gluten free for 23 years now. I think it is like a long time, but yeah. still developed an imbalance in my gut because of my nervous system dysregulation that was going on in my life, yeah. running multiple businesses and being a wedding photographer. So like there's lots that goes into that. And mm -hmm. um, I love your out, like your outlook on, on autoimmunity because there's so many things, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's just the food that made me this, 
or it's just the fact that I have this really bad relationship. So if I get rid of the relationship and I get divorced or whatever it might be, like I'll fix my health. And you're like, actually, there's many layers to this. (laughs) There are many layers. That's yeah, a great way to look at it. Mm, So thank you for sharing. And I know out of all of those, a couple of little questions, if we can dive in Mm -hmm. the environment, I have an idea of many different environmental factors for sure, but I think our listeners would love to hear, well, you mentioned the environment. So what are the, maybe the top three things that we can look to improve in our environment to improve our autoimmunity and our thyroid health? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, anytime I talk about changes, lifestyle changes, I always want to start small and practical. So it's not overwhelming. And so it's actually doable. So some, some shifts that I've made, and it's been over years, it's not like all of these things happened at once, but filtering our water was a big one. Um, so that's one that, you know, you can either do it on just your kitchen sink or your whole home, depending on your budget, but it, it can be done. Um, you know, without, without spending too much. So that's a big one. Um, replacing plastic use. So BPA can actually be a trigger for Hashimoto's. So BPA and plastics switching over to stainless steel and glass. Uh, it doesn't have to be fancy, but that's another pretty simple swap for women, especially personal care products. That's a whole journey I've been on, on, you know, toothpaste and deodorant and skin lotion and makeup and shampoo. And, you know, I don't even use perfume anymore. You know, it's just things that aren't that important. Um, and I don't need these extra things that can be endocrine disruptors or xenoestrogens that, you know, can influence hormones. Uh, so that's been one that I've been working on over the years is just being more mindful of the products that I'm using the ingredients in them. Of course, food, um, the quality of your food, you can do organic great, or at least follow like the clean 15 dirty dozen guidelines, um, to help with, you know, foods that might be more susceptible or, you know, with pesticides, herbicides might be different in Australia. I'm not sure, but in the U S we have to be more (laughs) diligent with, with that. Um, I believe, but, um, let me think what else are some other changes? I mean, just simple things, really just focusing on what is even within your control. There's obviously yeah. going to be things outside of your control. So looking at things that you, you know, within your life and your budget and what's doable for you that you can start to, to swap out and, um, just be more gentle on your body. Great tips because it's not about going all out and, you know, being extreme about it because the changes won't stay. They'll just fade away like a diet that you're trying to do for eight weeks. Um, I love the personal care product that you meant, like products that you mentioned. What I found, because I did a lot of basically all of this when I had leaky gut, you know, so over time, this has just become part of my life when people are like, oh, you don't have glad wrap. I'm like, no, I use homemade beeswax wraps. Like, and I've been doing that for such a long time. And people are like, you're that hippie person. Like, actually now I'm fully accepted as part of society as someone who actually just (laughs) knows about reducing waste. But it's interesting because I, one of the things I did find in that transition, two things, filtered water. I started drinking reverse osmosis water Mm -hmm. and I still do today. When I travel to the States, I just buy distilled water, you know, Mm -hmm. like in, I think it's a four- is it four gallons that you sell them in, in the big bottles at Whole yeah, it might or be. something? Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed oh, I got so thirsty 
Like mm. my, my rate of thirst skyrocketed. And I was like, how is this? And it just, for me, I was like, oh my God, my body's actually waking up to how good water, good quality water can be. Mm. And then with personal care products, I used to wear deodorant. I used to be very big into training. I used to do a lot of like triathlons and long distance kind of stuff. And I don't wear deodorant. And I haven't probably in like eight to 10 years. And, you know, sometimes I can have a little bit of body odor shift and change probably after my progesterone drops in that last part of my luteal phase before I begin menstruating, but it's very rare. And it's interesting that like, when you think of the personal care products that are out there, do we really need them all? Like, do we really need the seven products for your facial care regime? Right. You know, and do we really need those four products for our hair just so that it stays great? And I always think, you know, we want to work from the out, the inside out, not the outside in. So right. thank yeah. you for sharing everything about the environment. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by my five-day Love Your Cycle mini course, a simplified self-paced course to teach you the foundations and fundamentals of your menstrual cycle in under a week. Receive daily educational class videos and audios along with action steps, cycle tracking guides, cycle prompts, and my Love Your Cycle 50-page ebook. This is your chance to discover everything you wish you had have been taught at school about your cycle, how to eat, how to move, honoring your emotions, and identifying PMS and your cycle signs before they arise. It's now your turn to join over thousands of women from all over the world who have taken this course to reclaim and reconnect with their bodies. And you can do this in under a week for less than a fancy vegan burger. Use the code CYCLELOVE to save 20% off at wellsome.com forward slash shop. You mentioned how important gut health can be, and that's when you spoke about leaky gut and gut permeability. What are some great things that we can do or that you recommend to your clients on a daily basis to support themselves with having long-term good gut health? Yeah. So uh, since I work primarily with Hashimoto's patients, uh, one of the biggest ones is gluten. I know people Mm. hate to hear it, but I just see it time and time again that gluten for autoimmunity in general, but specifically Hashimoto's, which does have a higher correlation with celiac disease. So sometimes it's actually worth getting tested if you have celiac for Hashimoto's and if you have Hashimoto's get tested for celiac. Oh, that's great to know. Yeah. Yeah. There is, um, just because of the, the genetic (laughs) makeup that can, can, you know, that overlap that can happen. But, uh, so I usually recommend experimenting with trialing off wheat, uh, and, you know, just give it three to four weeks and see what happens. And more often than not, people feel better. So that's a big one. Uh, especially, wheat in the United States, if it's been, you know, treated with herbicides like glyphosate, or if it's not organic or how it's been changed. I have had clients, myself included, who have traveled to other countries outside the U.S. or Europe, and they'll eat wheat and not have the same problems that they have here in the United States. So that's really interesting. And I experienced that too. I went to Italy, I've been twice. And every time I ate the wheat, because I was in Italy and I wasn't going to pass that up and I didn't feel the same. Um, I'm gluten-free now. I I plan to stay that way. It's just better for me, but that's one that I recommend people experiment with just to see, like, just learn what your body has to say and give it that time. It's you can do it. I promise. So that's a big one. Uh, I mean, really it is just focusing on whole foods. The more you can focus on single ingredient foods, the better. I know everyone knows that, but the implementation doesn't always happen. So 
yeah, whole foods is, is really great. And then another big one too, is balancing your plate to balance your blood sugar levels. That's a huge one that can disrupt hormones in general, make you feel really crappy is just having huge blood sugar swings, not eating breakfast, skipping meals, not eating enough in general is another one that I see often for women. They're under eating protein. They're not eating enough. And then they wonder why they feel sluggish and tired and they can't lose weight. It's because they're not feeling or nourishing their bodies properly. So that's a big one is, you know, healing needs requires energy. It requires macronutrients and micronutrients and antioxidants. And if you're cutting yourself short on calories and fuel, you're simply not going to get what you need from your diet. So that's a really big one that I like to start with these big areas first, like make sure you're eating enough, make sure the quality of your food's good. You know, everyone's different with food intolerances and sensitivities. So that's something that's more individualized, but gluten and wheat do tend to be a big one for Hashimoto's. Amen, sister. I love all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I second that about eating gluten in a different place because when I have traveled, I'm someone who will experiment with dairy because I, I feel much better when I don't consume dairy. Mm-hmm. I also feel that when you eat and you're on holidays, your stress levels are much lower. So if I'm going to introduce a food that I would normally eat, I would normally do it like a week after I've been on holidays already or a week into my holiday mm-hmm. so that I'm like, okay, I really landed. I've let go of home life and I'm really in my <laughs> holiday now. Um, but I have this same thought. I'm like, I cannot wait to go back to Europe. I haven't been since oh, probably in the last six, seven years and I didn't eat any gluten. And I'm like, I really want to go and eat the locally grown grain and have it, you know, freshly made into a beautiful sourdough or an amazing yes. pasta or pizza. And so I hear <laughs> you, I'm hanging out for that. Um, great tips um, in Australia. You know, we do have a lot of sprays on foods too. Mm-hmm. Um, very fortunate that as a country and considering half of our country or some of our country is quite tropical, we have a lot of food that's grown within Australia that can mm-hmm. be purchased within Australia. So very good, you know, very thankful for that. Um, you know, unlike some other countries that have to have, you know, their oranges shipped in or, you know, mm-hmm. their bananas shipped in or whatever it might be. So, yeah, very grateful for that. But if you live in Australia, wouldn't out, you know, you know, not think that, food is much cleaner here because I know that in other, some other countries where they're, you know, FDAs or TGAs or whatever their therapeutic goods acts are, some countries have them so much stricter, like the EU Mm -hmm. than than we do, you know, both you and I. So yeah, just explore all of that. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit. Um, Loving this conversation. Thanks, Leisha. So let's talk about thyroid challenges and hormonal changes. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. that it can be quite common for yes, one in eight women, but also postpartum. So after childbirth, I remember having a friend who was my first girlfriend from school to have kids and she had a thyroid and she had hyperthyroidism um, probably about three or four months postpartum. And she was so skinny and she's like, it's just the breastfeeding. Mm. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's way (laughs) too skinny. Like that's not just breastfeeding. So what are the hormonal shifts that occur in coming off or not coming off? Sorry in having a child that can impact the thyroid? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just the the significant drop (laughs) in estrogen. Um, you know, once having a baby, it's, it's pretty immediate from my understanding, please feel free to add more (laughs) from your knowledge base, but that, um, a couple of things can happen. There's postpartum thyroiditis, which can actually be temporary. So it's like Hashimoto's where there's this autoimmune, 
attack towards the thyroid, but it can resolve in six to 12 months postpartum, which is why it's very important to make sure that you are getting routine checks because postpartum is a very hard time, regardless, whether you have thyroid issues or not, you're already tired. Um, you can't think straight, you know, you're stressed because of the new baby and just the, everything that comes with that. So making sure you're getting routine lab work, especially if you are one of those women who are at a high risk due to family history or what have you. So making sure routine checks after the baby comes and, you know, even every month after, if you're not feeling well or feeling like yourself, it's really important to check in there. Uh, so for some women that resolves on its own for other women, it can actually develop and stay as Hashimoto's for their life. So again, really important to know that. Mm. Um, and yeah, I would say that that's the most common. I have had women say that, um, or tell me that hypothyroidism, that's when they got diagnosed. Um, but off, more often than not, it's, they got diagnosed with hypothyroidism first, but their doctors never checked for Hashimoto. So actually it was both going on there. Mm. Um, so then, you know, really it was the Hashimoto's that led to the hypothyroidism and that's what was going on. They just didn't have the proper lab work. So they didn't know what was happening. That just comes back to choosing the right type of practitioner and making sure that mm-hmm. you entrust them, that they've got the experience under their belt. They do this kind of work all the time, you know, as opposed to just going to someone who, you know, works with old people that is about mobility, you know, it's completely different. Um, I'd love to also ask the question because there's a lot of people in the community who are shifting off hormonal mm-hmm. birth control. You know, like, I'm going to reclaim my cycle. And I'm so proud of everyone when they decide to make a shift that they feel is beneficial to their body um, and their future. But does the thyroid come into, you know, impact with that experience? Because I know coming off hormonal birth control, it is a definite roller coaster. It can also Mm -hmm. feel a lot like the postpartum period. And I actually believe that it is a mini postpartum. Like if you can nurture yourself in coming off Mm -hmm. hormonal birth control in a way that you would nurture your body whilst you're breastfeeding and looking after a newborn, you're going to bring more support to that cyclical nature, reestablishing, you know, a great HBO or HPG access. Mm -hmm. So I'd love your outlook. Like, have you ever worked with clients in, you know, after they've come off hormonal birth control, is there a, a link between the dip and the changes? Because yeah, there's a lot that goes on there. Yeah. Um, it's not something that I regularly do, but I have had clients who have decided whether they're want to start a family or they just want to switch the way that they're doing birth control. Um, and you know, it can definitely take some time to, like you said, support your body into becoming regular with the cycles. Again, um, I do know that excess estrogen, whether it's from the birth birth control, or if it's from, um, estrogen dominance and lower progesterone levels, can influence thyroid function. Mm. Um, so it can actually high estrogen levels can increase thyroid binding globulin, which can actually create a state of hypothyroidism because more of the protein is, um, or more of the hormones are bound versus being free and available. Now, what happens when someone comes off? Honestly, I'm not sure what goes on. I think it's, I'm sure it's individual, but I think it's something again, check on your thyroid health. If if you're making a hormonal change like this, and that would go for someone too, who's going on hormone replacement therapy, same thing, like keep an eye on the thyroid before and after, because like you said before, and I agree, our systems don't work in isolation. It's Mm -hmm. like an orchestra. Everything influences one another. They work together. Um, so it's, I, I just, you know, want the people that I educate and, you know, my patients to be an advocate for themselves and having this kind of general base knowledge that we're talking about can help them have better conversations with their doctor. Say, Hey, if we're making this change, let's make sure the other, you know, areas of my body that could be impacted are checked on. 
I couldn't agree more. And we just had an episode come out with Nat Kringunis and talking about getting tests done. And that um, we talked about, well, I personally like to go every six months. You know, I was diagnosed after having leaky gut with PCOS, which I now no longer have. But, you know, with that and having um, an unplanned pregnancy and termination a couple of years ago, I do like to go every six months and just get my blood work done. And that includes the thyroid. Because one, having a, an autoimmune, you know, gut health challenge in the past, I like to keep on top of, okay, well, what's my body telling me in that snippet of moment of time? Yeah. And I think that for those who are coming off hormonal birth control, it's a great thing to do. Like get some tests done, whether that's a regular blood test, whether that's, you know, if you want to pay the extra money and get like a urine test or a saliva test, like go for it, or a hair test, go for it. Mm-hmm. But I think most general practicing, either doctors or nutritional doctors um, can cover the basis. And I think thyroid mm-hmm. regular te- checking is really good, especially like you mentioned, if it's genetic at all in your family. Um, but also if you know that you've been under a lot of stress, if you know that mm-hmm. you've just had a baby, if you know that you are coming off hormonal birth control and you don't have, your period hasn't arrived back in a, you know, in a couple of cycles, like be inquisitive and get that checked. That's what I would suggest. Anything you want yeah. to add to that? No, I agree. That's, that's what I recommend. <laughs> Test don't guess, you know, it's oh, hard like sometimes. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard sometimes when you're going through these different changes and transitions to, even if you are someone who's in tune with their body, it's hard when all of a sudden you go through a change and you don't, you know, your normal isn't normal anymore. So, you know, kind of get some obje- objective data to support the next change you're going to make to support your body. Mm. And they, they provide great insights. It's not the, mm-hmm. it's not a rule of thumb. Like it's not the be all and end all, but it's a good insight as to what else is going on. Um, so coming off that, I'd love to talk about thyroid health as one of our last topics um, for our chat today, mm-hmm. thyroid health and fertility. So I really believe having a fertile cycle means you're having a healthy cycle And a lot of other people who are learning about the cycle, maybe they're on their early menstrual cycle journey and discovering it. They think fertility is all about having babies. And yes, fertility is about having babies, but having a healthy fertile cycle means that you have a healthy cycle because your cycle is designed to be fertile. (laughs) You know, otherwise we wouldn't exist on the planet. And um, I think it's important to to look at there's so many things that impact, like nothing works in isolation. So with fertility and actually having a healthy cycle, so having healthy ovarian function, ovulating, you know, producing, you know, uh, progesterone from our corpus luteum, which comes from our erupted follicle that releases the egg and, you know, then menstruating a couple of weeks later, all of this is that impacted by the thyroid and how does the thyroid play a key role or what can lead to an, in, like a, an imbalanced cycle or imbalanced fertility or challenges with fertility because of the thyroid? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So yeah, just changes with your thyroid levels. You know, like I mentioned earlier, they play a big role in your metabolic health and energy production, and that influences every system. So your ability to ovulate and your other hormones and that balance. So not your body, just not having those thyroid hormones that they need can, you know, I have had patients where they have irregular or missing cycles, you know, that's not good. We don't know. Are they even ovulating? It can be hard when that becomes disrupted. And then, you know, they want to have a family and it gets even trickier because things aren't optimal. Hormones aren't robust. You know, we want all the hormones to be in optimal ranges and to be 
cycling in the levels that they should be to promote, like you said, to, to have fertility be an option. So, uh, yeah, thyroid hormones are very important for both trying to conceive. Um, and then of course a healthy pregnancy, you know, when you have hypothyroidism, you, and if it's not managed, I should say that can put you at a high risk for miscarriage. Mm. So that shows you how important those thyroid hormones are during the early stages of pregnancy, because the growing fetus, the baby cannot produce thyroid hormones until the second halfway through the second trimester. So it's fully reliant on the mother's thyroid hormone supply to grow for like everything, brain development, nervous system. So that's where that can cause, um, you know, I've had many patients who in the past have struggled with, um, they've had miscarriages and, and they've had thyroid issues that weren't maybe well controlled or even known that they had thyroid issues Mm. going on. So for, if you are planning or you want to conceive, that's, that's a big one is again, plan ahead. Um, I'm sure you talk a lot about that on your show too, but make sure that, you know, one of a big one is your thyroid hormone or your TSH needs to be in a specific range before recommending starting to try, um, just to kind of, uh, you know, promote the best chance of a healthy pregnancy, healthy baby, healthy mama. So that that's a big one. And then, um, definitely monitoring throughout pregnancy. And then like we talked about after pregnancy, absolutely. I love that. These are great insights because early pregnancy loss is quite large, you know, yeah. largely experienced. And I think that's because it's not just to do with the cycle health. It's to do with multiple factors. Mm-hmm. Having children later in life doesn't, I don't think geriatric mother is the right term at all, but I you know, <laughs> it's terrible. Like geriatric yeah. means old age, like, yeah, I'm sorry, but 35 to 40 is not old age in these areas that we now live in. Maybe a uh, hundred yeah. years ago, maybe, but right. not now. <laughs> Um, and so I think that, you know, when it comes to pregnancy and then, you know, early child, like early pregnancy loss, whether it's a termination, an abortion, you know, a miscarriage, any of the above, there's a crazy stat and don't quote me on this, but it's like one in three pregnancies end in an early pregnancy loss. And that's that's not, that's not even necessarily just what we would consider a miscarriage, but that's the conception Mm -hmm you know, losing its pregnancy in like, say the first two weeks of pregnancy. And a lot Mm. of people don't even know they're pregnant then. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot that goes on there. And I think most people who would experience something like that would never think of the avenue of checking my thyroid health. Mm -hmm. You know, they think, oh, it's my cycle. I need to check my ovaries. I need to check, you know, my blood, my sex hormones, et cetera, which is all very important. Okay. I need to focus on having the right nutrients, which is all very important too. But your thyroid, I love that you mentioned that, Alicia. It's so good plays such an important role, mm-hmm. like such a vital role. And I think that's why it's really important to get blood work regularly. Um, I know for me, um, being 37 this year and, you know, having the intentions to conceive, um, you know, in the, in the near future, that getting blood work done every six months helps me keep on top of like, well, where is my fertility health at? And I think that's important to be savvy about, you know, where you are in your age brackets and when you choose to have children. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had a lot of, um, people in general and and clients that I've worked with one-on-one tell me that their OB was either the one that caught their thyroid condition or diagnosed them or, um, you know, made sure to check before, you know, like trying to grow their family. So I think that that's nice that I hear that that their OB is, you know, aware that there is such a significant role when it comes to fertility and and pregnancy is just the thyroid health. 
Mm, And it's really a great demonstration that, you know, Western practicing doctors and and an OB is an obstetrician, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, great. Because in, in Australia, we would just refer to them as an obstetrician. So for everyone who's like, what the fuck is an OB? <laughs> yeah, obstetrician gynecologist. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I get I get it. I get it. Um, but yeah, it's great to, sh- to see that they're, we're no longer looking at things in isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned everything's connected. And I know that, you know, when I had leaky gut before leaky gut was something that was a diagnosable thing, is that it was very much looked at isolation. It wasn't looked at like, all of the rest of the stuff that was going on in my life at that time. It's great that we're really evolving into that, you know, full picture of health, not just specific health. Um, I could ask you a trillion more questions. This has been so much fun. So thank you. Um, I'd love to ask um, as a final kind of tips question is if someone is looking at, you know, supporting um, thyroid health, you know, not someone who's got maybe Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism, but someone who's like, I, actually, I'd like to be on top of having a good thyroid for the rest of my life because that's kind of important. Um, yeah. What are your, maybe your top three or five tips? It could be anything to do with lifestyle. It could be nutritional, maybe micronutrients, anything sure. that comes to mind that would be beneficial for supporting thyroid health. Yeah. I love that question. Um, so the thyroid is a very, I would say it's almost like a sensitive gland. So when things are off in the body or environment, like the thyroid can take the hit early. (laughs) So we want to think of things that are going to impact us, um, you know, more significantly, potentially, I think that nutritionally, I mentioned it already, but like the crash dieting and the, especially as a woman, you know, the potential like fasting and things that are a little bit more drastic can actually work against you. So proper nourishment and whole food sources and a variety. Um, you know, I am a definitely a fan of animal-based diets, but heavy with plants, if that makes sense. I think you can get so many nutrients from both. Um, of course people have their lifestyle and preferences that, you know, we can work with, but I've seen a lot of success with good quality animal protein in the diet, animal fats when done correctly. Um, yeah, stop with the, the crash dieting, make sure if you're going to, you know, lose weight in a sustainable, healthy way. Um, stress is a very big one. So not neglecting your mental and emotional health. Um, especially if, you know, definitely connect with autoimmunity if you don't have that great, but even so stress can, we cannot underestimate the impact of stress on our physical body and maybe trauma in the past. Those are very, very big ones. Movement, um, being outside, getting sunlight, like some of the basics that I think we've maybe lost is, you know, I try to do multiple walks outside every day. It drastically changes my mood. It makes me feel better. Um, I love being outside. Walking is a very underrated, but very, very helpful movement um, for metabolic health. But also if you are already living with thyroid disease, walk. Um, I could talk so much more about that, but, um, strength training is a great one to protect metabolic health, um, and support your metabolism. Um, and you need to eat to grow muscle. So just another reason to make sure you're eating enough, um, and fueling your body properly. And those are three tips. I think I said, um, yeah. And I, I usually just encourage people to take inventory of their lives and look at the areas that are out of balance because it will look different for everyone. For some people, like they have horrible sleep schedules and I, I'll have to tell you, like, you can't make, make much progress. If your sleep schedule is a wreck, your body is so dependent on <laughs> 
cycles and routine and consistency. And it really thrives when you create that structure for your body. Mm. So, you know, if, if you're really bad at sleep, start working on that. If you're really bad at movement, start incorporating movement. If you're really bad at eating regular meals, like look at the areas that are not serving you and could be contributing to you not feeling your absolute best. And when you take care of your body in that way, your thyroid is just going to be, you know, benefit from that. So those are my kind of, they're very general, but I, I think that they're just so powerful and, and people aren't doing them, um, to the best that they probably could be. And I think that's because people are like, tell me the big next big fancy thing I can do. And it, actually it's not very big and it's not very fancy. It's kind of, right. you're kind of doing it anyway, but let's do it more, you know, mindfully or intentionally mm-hmm. and, you know, having a, a clearer focus. So I love those tips. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Love chatting with you. I'm so glad that we we snipped this in in my early morning. Um, but how can all of our listeners find you? So if they're looking to learn more about thyroid health, because I know that you have some of the most amazing infographics on your Instagram. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you are very worth it and welcome. How can people connect with you and find you, Leisha? Yeah, the best way would probably just be my Instagram. It's at Leisha underscore thyroid underscore RD. I have tons of free information and education that I love to share. Um, and then from there, you can find my website. I have free, I have free guides. I have um, the products that I love, things I like to recommend. So, and then also like my email and, and tons and tons of people DM me. So that's probably the easiest way. Just shoot me a message if you want to connect further. But yeah, Instagram is kind of my main main way that I connect with people. I love that. Well, we will include all of those links in the show notes. So thank you. And again, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a beautiful pleasure. And I've got one final podcast question for you. It's very different to what we've been talking about. And I love asking all of our guests this. So I would love for you, Leisha, to think back to your younger menstruating self, you know, this inner Mm. version of you when you were a teen or a tween, when you started menstruating, Mm -hmm. what are three things that you wish you had have known then as you entered your menarche or first menstrual experience that you now know today? Three things. Um, I wish I was educated properly, (laughs) um, back when I, you know, that happened for me when I first started menstruating, um, I had no clue about my cycle or that it could be like a superpower and that you could leverage the phases and work with your body. I really wish I knew, like I'm just recently in the last few years learned, have learned about that, which blows my mind, um, that I didn't, (laughs) that, you know, that education really isn't there as much as it should be for women, but that would definitely be one, um, treat my body with more kindness and and more grace and appreciate what it's doing. Cause it's a really incredible thing. It's very amazing. And, um, yeah, just, I don't know, embrace who I was and, and know that, um, you know, good things lie ahead and it's, yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's probably what I would say. And, and, you know, what I've kind of learned later in my thirties now and, and what I do embrace now and do show myself that grace and do pay attention to the signs and the signals my body's telling me, I wish I would have learned some of that sooner. Mm, Juicy. I love it. Thank you for sharing your younger self. Thanks you. Um, but Leisha, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure to have you share all of your wisdom about the thyroid. You are a thyroid guru and I'm so grateful for you and your journey and being here. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.